Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome. I'm Katherine Miller, the host of Dialogue on Divorce. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and a director of the Center for Understanding in Conflict, and I'm on a mission to change how people divorce. And I'm really excited to welcome today Donna Hicks, who's a dignity expert. She's an associate at the Weatherhead Center for International Affairs at Harvard University. She's been involved in numerous unofficial diplomatic conflict resolution efforts, including projects in the Middle East, Sri Lanka, Cambodia, Colombia, Cuba, and Northern Ireland, Syria, and Libya. She was a consultant to the BBC, where she co-facilitated a program series facing the truth with Archbishop Desmond Tutu, which aired in the UK and on BBC World. She has taught conflict resolution at Harvard, Clark, and Columbia Universities and conducts training seminars on the Dignity Model, a human-centered approach to rebuilding conflict relationships and to creating a culture of dignity in a variety of settings in the corporate world, healthcare, education, faith communities, and nonprofit organizations. She's also the author of a terrific book, Dignity, The Essential Role It Plays in Resolving Conflict, which was published in 2011 by Yale University Press, and she's the founder of DeclareDignity.com. Welcome, Donna. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. I'm really, really happy to be here. You know, it's really interesting. Normally, I don't give such a long introduction or bio for my guests, uh, but I am thinking, and more and more, I realize how important dignity is and a sort of lack of dignity or lack of respect, and I know they're different things, or the feeling of a dignity in- insult, how that how Im- impactful that is in our human relationships and in families. And I really think it's so worth pointing that out. And I really appreciate your work in that regard. Yeah, thank you. So I know your your program is um, about divorce and dialogue on divorce. And I and, you know, I wonder if some of your listeners are wondering, well, why is a woman who has been doing international conflict dialogues you know, in the Middle East and Libya and Syria and all these places, what does she know about divorce? And, you know, I can tell you that um, after my book came out, uh, as you pointed out, in 2011, I was really shocked to learn that people in a variety of settings, like the corporate world, healthcare, faith communities, education, they they read my book and they said, you have you have really shed light on the problems that we're having inside our organizations and so it was a it was a big surprise to me that this concept of dignity and you know simply put the the way we really want to be treated we want to be treated as if we're something of value and worth and when that's violated it doesn't matter whether you're talking about people in international conflicts people in the workplace, in organizations of all kinds, families, uh, and certainly, and certainly, I can underscore, certainly in uh, marriages, because we all want the same thing, basically. We want to be treated well. We want to be, you know, we really want everyone in our, in our world to, to sense us as, 
something of significance and that and that we matter. And I, it, it's it's ironic, really, though, that when when relationships break down, what I have found is that underneath all of the things that they think they're arguing about, like money or or children or you know who's going to have custody, if you go deeper under that. Those, those interests and those issues, you're always going to find some kind of unaddressed dignity violation. You know, Tana, it's so amazing to me to hear you say that you were surprised by that because I am so not surprised by that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really guess it depends on, you know, sort of where your focus is. And if you're, you're focusing on what seems like such a big problem, big problems and sort of international conflicts and, and the like that mm-hmm. they really, it's a series of little problems built up to a big problem. I, I, there's a children's book, I think it's called Swimmy. Are you familiar with it? No, Probably no, no. not. But basically, Swimmy is a fish, you can imagine, right? And he yeah. is a different colored fish from the other school. And it's really about how the importance of the, of the fish swimming together in the school, how they are as individuals and how they work together. And it's always been for me, it's such a great metaphor for, for the way people are also. Yeah. Well, you know, this idea of how you know, we, well, we've spent so much time in, in my world anyway, and you probably have, have explored this as well. We've spent so much time trying to understand our differences, uh, ways in which we, you know, our cultures recognize different things and how we do certain things. But what I have found is that, you know, that's great. And, and I've done that work for, for many, many years, um, trying to do diversity training and sensitivity training around these, these issues. But I'm worried that we're stopping after that. In other words, I think there's another step to go, which is how can all of us come back together again? Around what idea can we unite? And I'm telling you this universal desire to be treated with dignity is, I think, it's the, it's the place where we can all you know, learn to cooperate, just like you said, with, you know, with the fish metaphor, the school of fish, we can all do this if we recognize that we want fundamentally, we all want the same thing, and that is to be treated well. Yeah, I think that's so true. So let's focus that on on understanding dignity in relationships and marriage. I mean, obviously, before everyone, anyone ever gets to the idea of divorce, they fall in love, they decide to form a partnership and become a family. And so what is your understanding of how dignity works in uh, in those kinds of relationships? In those relationships, well, I I think when we fall in love, we uh, you know there's all kinds of brain chemistry involved in that you know in that um, wonderful feeling of closeness and you know you're crazy about the person and you you want to be with that person all the time and I think our, our brain really does help us out with that with some you know chemicals that you know, really promote a sense of trust and a sense of connection. And over time, though, um, with familiarity, I mean, I I see it in my own marriage that, you know, we get a little sloppy with all of that, with all of those connections and that deep uh, appreciation of people. And, you know, we, we tend to lose sight of the inherent value of, of our partners. And, you know, you add the stresses of uh, the world that we live in today, the economic stresses, the uh, you know the family demands, the you know kids going off to college, and all of the the financial aspects of what it means to be together as a family, and those external pressures. I, I can tell you, this is the same in international conflicts. When you add those external pressures 
to a an intimate relationship, you know, if you don't have that really strong sense of trust and bonding to begin with, you know, if if you haven't done that work with your partner, I think, you know, there's so many ways in which um, those pressures can undermine our dignity and our sense of the dignity of our partner. You know, I, honestly, I think so much of it is that we just get a little sloppy and we have to be reminded over and over again of the impact that our words and our actions are having on, on our partner. You know, I think it, it's interesting because as you're talking, I'm thinking it, that it goes together with also our assumptions about other people's intent, right? Yes. You know, and, and this thing called attribution error, which, you know, obviously I'm paraphrasing, but basically says that we judge ourselves based on our own intentions, which are usually good, mm-hmm. and we judge other people based on the impact of their actions upon us, which are as often bad. So right. it's meaning that we say, if you hurt me, you, therefore you intended to hurt me. Right. Right. And, and it hurts that it hurts and it hurts that you intended to hurt me. And, you know, that seems to me, of course, I'm a complete amateur in this field as, as a dignity violation. You know, if you intended to hurt me, how could you do that if we're in a right. love relationship? Well, I think there's, you know, one of the things that I did, I have done in my book is I, I've come up with 10 different ways that people can have their dignity honored. Uh, I call them the 10 essential elements of dignity. And one of them that just comes to mind listening to you is this idea of giving people the benefit of the doubt. And I think when relationships, when there's a lot of pressure on relationships and, you know, this question of intention is really um, in the forefront of someone's mind who has felt violated. You you know, you think, give him the benefit of the doubt. Are you kidding? I know he t- intended to hurt me here. I know he wanted to get even with me for something that I might have done two days ago. And, you know, this dynamic of wanting to get even is such an unconscious process. This is the other thing that I discovered in my research about you know, about what happens in conflicts between people, that these unconscious forces, I think I might have mentioned, um, well, I didn't mention earlier, but I've mentioned before in my book that almost 90% of our behaviors are motivated by unconscious forces. This is what the neuroscientists are telling us now. And honestly, it shocks me to hear that. But we are, you know, we are hardwired to, to be, you know, questioning someone under circumstances of threat, if someone comes at at us with a negative, you know, um, something negative that feels hurtful, we are not going to give that person the benefit of the doubt. In fact, all of our self-preservation instincts get turned on, and when that happens, Catherine, we're in trouble as a as a you know as an intimate relationship. Once we start acting from you know that that hardwired part and unconscious aspect of ourselves, wanting to defend ourselves, wanting to be right, wanting always to, um, you know, to get even, that's not the better angels of our nature. No, it's really not. And it, and it's a vicious cycle, too. I see it in my practice all the time where people assume that they're being criticized, you know, that every, and, and, and I don't, and, and sometimes maybe they are, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I think that couples develop a secret language and, and as an outsider, you don't necessarily mm-hmm. see the secret language there, and and sometimes the the insult or the criticism or the dignity violation is intentional, um, but most times I think it's not, and people sort of are listening for the wrong things instead of listening yeah. for what is what is the intent, the good intent. They're listening for the hurt and the pain and the bad intent, and that's a very sad thing. 
And and add to that. I mean, that's a beautiful back setting for what I'm about to say. And add to that when you know there's a history of violations, a history of um, whatever it is that irks the person, you know, about their spouse, his spouse, or her spouse. When there's a pile up, the, the stockpile of these violations, then you know all of those good intentions, all of those. Um, you know, the earlier forms of giving people the benefit of the doubt, that early expression of wanting to understand someone more deeply, that goes out the window. And, you know, I think um, I think that's one of the most destructive dynamics that, that need to be broken. Um, and that is mostly because people are not even conscious of the ways in which they're violating the dignity of the other, you see. So, so one of the things that I do when I work with, you know, with people is to try to get them to recognize, you know, look, we are all very vulnerable. Every human being on this planet is vulnerable. As much as we're valuable and we're worthy, we're also vulnerable. And knowing the impact that we have on others and being aware of what that does to other people, that's the lion's share of the learning. It's just developing that consciousness of, oh, no, when I lash back, I'm actually returning the violation. So one of the things that I do, I try to do when I work with, with, with couples is to say, look, you know, be conscious of when you're doing what you're doing. You know, try to develop an awareness of what you look like in this situation. You know, I talk about getting up on the balcony, which is you know, one of my colleagues uh, up here at Harvard, uh, Ron Heifetz, has developed this notion of getting up on the balcony and try to watch yourself in this interaction that you're having with your partner and say to yourself, you know, what am I doing? You know, in what way am I contributing to this? So, so much of the dignity work is shifting that default setting that we have where we want to return the violation, get even, and, you know, be the one who comes out, the one who is right. So, there's a lot of exercises that, you know, people can do to try to halt that um self-preservation behavior and see if we can at least just push the pause button for a minute and uh, reflect on how we really want to behave in that situation and how we want to affect that person. So I want to talk about how we do that in, in a moment, but first I want to remind people that this is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm talking today with Dr. Donna Hicks about dignity and the role it plays in marriage and divorce. And you just said, Dr. Hicks, about, you know, can you, in the, in the midst of um, one of these exchanges, and these are not pleasant exchanges, you know, hit the pause button and and reflect on an opportunity, I suppose, to do something different or to interpret in a different way or just say, what's going on here? How do you suggest that people do that? Well, you know, I think there's a step preceding, and um, and I think that step is, to come to an agreement about, you know, this is, this is like, like a new marriage contract. This is how I see it. This is how I work with parties in conflict that I ask them, I, you know, I share with them the, all the basics about the dignity approach, what dignity looks like, you know, and, and I'm just, some of the elements of dignity are wanting to have your identity accepted, wanting to feel a sense of acknowledgement, recognition, inclusion. The, the need to be understood, and as I said earlier, the wanting to be given the benefit of the doubt, and finally, just to be apologized to, to take for people to take accountability and take responsibility for the way they've hurt you. So, if we can, if parties in in a marriage, if if 
married couples can agree to these building blocks of dignity and recognize that that dignity, when we, when our identity is trashed for some reason, when someone puts us down or criticizes us for who we are, that's a blow. That is a real blow. And when we're misunderstood, when we're not included, when we're feeling like we're being treated unfairly, all these things are provocative behaviors that can lead to a breakdown in the relationship. So first and foremost, I have people understand what those 10 elements of dignity are and how they can so easily, so easily get injured. And, you know, by the way, it might be worth saying here too, Catherine, that there's evidence from neuroscience now that that when we experience a wound to our dignity, like, for example, when somebody shames us for who we are or, you know, rejects us or misunderstand all these elements of dignity, when those things are violated, um, these neuroscientists have shown that the effects of that violation are felt in the brain in the same area as a physical wound. So essentially, the brain doesn't know the difference between someone humiliating them and, and, and violating their dignity and having experiencing a physical wound. And I think we have to all be educated about this because, you know, in the in the past, people would say about psychological things, oh, it's just touchy-feely, you know, I'm not really interested in that. Well, or, now, I don't care no, about your words. Sticks and stones may break my your, bones. Exactly. Yes. And don't, don't you remember when we were kids, this expression, sticks and stones can hurt right. my bones, but words will never hurt me? Well, they got that one wrong. I wonder who came up with that. So, I mean, these, this is a real injury. These w- dignity wounds that we're talking about, Catherine, are, have a significant physical impact on us. And I think any of us who've been humiliated and treated badly can understand that, you know, how that crushing feeling inside and how our heart races and we get angry or we want to withdraw. We know that physical component to these dignity violations. So, so, this does have to, has to be taken seriously by partners, I think, but in a in a marriage, just knowing that um, you know dignity is such an important concept to be honored in in a relationship, and and to know also that when any of these elements are violated, that the, it's the relationship is the first thing to go. Trust is 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 shattered, and you know, I mean, how many times have you you had uh, clients with? You know, who one of them has had an extramarital affair and try to rebuild that trust, you know, after that kind of violation. So this stuff is real. It's physical. It has consequences. And so I think educating people first and knowing how to, um, what, what it looks like and knowing what the behaviors are that actually harm the other person. That's great. But then, inevitably, I don't care how good you are at knowing all of those things. If you're anything, like me, you know, I, my husband and I have been together for almost 25 years now, and we have our little triggers, and we can get into dignity-violating interactions really quickly. But the thing of it is, what we do know now, which we didn't know in the beginning, is how to do that, like we were saying earlier, push the pause button, find the balcony. We'll even say, okay, you know what? We got to get to the balcony. <laughs> and then, so here's the other really interesting thing that neuroscientists have taught me that you know, when you have that initial hit from a dignity violation in, by your partner, you know, your brain gets flooded with all of these chemicals and 
um, this woman, I'm sure you might have heard of Jill Taylor Bolte, the, she wrote a great book called My Stroke of Insight. She claims that our brain needs at least 90 seconds to get over that initial hit from the cortisol and the other chemicals that are coursing through our bodies. And if we react to a, you know, if we react to a, an assault to our dignity during that 90 seconds, we are likely to become dignity violators. But if we can calm down, like I said, push the pause button, take a breath, find the balcony, get yourself up there and recognize that you don't want to become a dignity violator, that this relationship is important to you and we're going to work it out in a different way. It's so interesting. You know, I'm, I'm listening to you speak about that. And, and it's it's also, it's interesting to me that in our culture, we're really expected to respond immediately too. And in yeah. some ways, like, all right, if you respond immediately, you're going to say something that might not come from your best place or the place you really want to be. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Because all of us, every one of us is vulnerable to this, you know. There's nobody who doesn't have those instinctive reactions when someone violates your dignity, that, that anger that builds up, that outrage of, you know, I, I often say, if you want to put words to those feelings, it's how dare you treat me this way. So we can't escape having those feelings and they're there in our relationship. The question is, how do we react to them? And learning this, the, 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 the very core aspects of dignity and how important it is to every single one of us and recognizing the power. There is so much power behind an honoring of dignity. And, you know, again, we were I was saying earlier, we can get a little bit sloppy with our partners uh, over the years. Well, you know, sometimes what I do is I try to imagine myself back on a date with my husband and remind myself, oh my gosh, I used to be so, I used to acknowledge him all the time. I used to say really nice things. And I just want to get back to that place, back to those early, you know, moments of adoration that I used to feel for him. And then it does come back. I mean, that's the beauty of this. We can push the pause button and we can tame that, that part of us inside that wants uh, nothing more than to defend ourselves and to be right. It's, it just takes practice, though, Catherine, as, as all of us know. It just, it, it's work. It comes back if you start looking for it before it's too late. Exactly. That's, you, oh, well, that's even better. You said yeah. that better than I did. Yeah. It comes back if, you know, if it's not too late and if we put it into practice. It really does. This yeah. is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, the host of this show. I'm talking today with Donna Hicks about the role of dignity in marriage and divorce. And Dr. Hicks, I have a very important question for you, and that is, why is it so hard to apologize? Yeah, well, that's that's uh, that's that's the big question. You know, again, think about think about these these chemicals that go coursing through our body when these self preservation instincts get activated. I mean, those self preservation instincts want to pounce, right? Want you to pounce. They want you to to eliminate the source of the threat, no matter what that looks like. You know, and if you take this on an international level, that's when people start killing each other. But when you take this down to our marriages and in our families, that can look just like very mean and demeaning behaviors toward one another. And and I'll tell you that biological component to this really can't be taken too, you know, too lightly because it's there, it's present, and it really does prevent us from doing what our more evolved aspects of who we are, you know, are, are the better angels of our nature. 
it really undermines those decisions. And, and you just, the other thing is that I find that in the beginning, apology is really, really tough. But the more you practice it with your partner, the easier it gets. Honestly, it's like developing a muscle. And, you know, eventually it can lead to some discussion about, you know, I always talk about, you know, these conflicts are signaling in our marriages, are signaling that there's something there in the relationship that needs to change. And, you know, we all have blind spots. And perhaps, you know, when we hurt somebody and we violate our partner's dignity, maybe we're doing it and not knowing that we're doing it. And therefore, we can really learn something if we're able to apologize. You know, we can open up a whole new kind of discussion with our partners, you know, when we're able to give them feedback about the way they've hurt us, but do it in a way that is not going to be returning the harm. You know, that's the key to this is that how do you, how do you, you know, because your your partner is going to make it easier or harder for you to apologize, right? If If she's looking at you with tremendous, hatred and, and, you know, all those self-preservation instincts are all stirred up, it's going to be way harder to put that apology out there. But if they come to you with a sense of compassion, um, and here's the thing, Catherine, I think more than anything else, we have to look at each other in these conflicts and we have to say, you know, if we're so angry at our partner, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. Because we we are up against these biological realities, all of us. We are all up against it. And I think developing a little compassion for what it means to be in relationships and to struggle like this, everybody I know, this is a human phenomenon. This isn't about just people who get divorced. You know, I think we have to just get better at loving and get better at accepting our limits and get better at at, at uh, sharing feedback about the ways someone is create, you know, causing us harm, we have to get better at doing that because the more loving we can be when we deliver that feedback about ways people harm our dignity, the easier it's going to be for the other person to accept it, to apologize for it, and to actually change the behavior, which is the ultimate goal anyway of an apology, get people to change their behavior. Yeah, I think it's very difficult because so often there is a double dignity violation that's happening there. And it's so easy to say, I'm sorry, but. Absolutely. And that's not really an apology, as we all know. Absolutely. And I would say, get that, take that word, but out of your vocabulary. You know, if you want to say, I'm sorry, and then you follow it up with a but, every good thing that you've said before is going to vanish. So you say you're sorry, and you might say, and. I would really look forward to working on these issues with you, right? Or something like that, but get rid of the word but. It'll, it'll kill the, all the good things you've done up to that point in a nanosecond. I completely agree with that. Donna Hicks, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on Dialogue on Divorce today. Oh, my pleasure. You're welcome.